thanks for uh, the laughter and the joy that you give us, even in the midst of um, just uh, insanity of the world, Lord. We, we uh, recognize that uh, there's still hope and there's still a reason for people to, to look up. And so, Lord, as we study your word, may we be encouraged. May we uh, also be able to use it in a way, Lord, that uh, strengthens our faith, but also impacts those around us. Uh, may it not just be an exercise in education, but it'd be a transformation that we would live for you. And as Matt was talking about this morning, that that would work out some of our salvation as you work it into us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Do you see? Somebody listened. I did call you a liar this morning, though. I thought I got this. It was fine. I'm like, oh, man, I don't want to mess him up. I'm curious, Matt, how long did you work on that? Weeks. Wait, not long enough. Way too long. The reason I asked is, you know, when I was teaching a girl in Sunday school, I'd spend most all day Saturday. All day Saturday. Try to get that lesson. And I'm thinking, oh, to get up there and speak for, what, 20 minutes? 10. I'm a 20 minuteer. He's the 10 oh. minuteer. I was I was aiming for 12 to 15, but some people don't pace it themselves properly. <laughs> Sometimes we get excited. Well, I really like to see that really he wasn't fast. like this. He was actually using he his, had to hands. Use his hands. He wasn't like this. He's yeah. he's you know, he he's good. got some uh, I would lean okay, I would lean on it sometimes, but it's it's kind of awkward. It's kind of like the way that it's set up and it's down here, it's, I have yeah. to, so we yeah. just kind of have to be like this. Uh-huh. Yeah. But I mean, it was. But your professor you looked, will be happy. You looked very relaxed. Hopefully. Yeah. I looked very relaxed. You did. You looked very relaxed. Oh, good. You can see his legs. Good. You were closer <laughs> than me. No. What is a watch thing to a Pentecostal? No, you did. You looked very relaxed. Next time I give a sermon, everyone's sitting in the back, all the way back. Get back there. You won't see me. I'll, I'll look perfect. We'll make sure everybody's in front. Uh, <laughs> well, if we keep having the numbers that we're having, not everyone's going to be able to fit in the back. So. That's hey, darn good today. So, yeah. I saw so many new people. No, that's okay. I didn't even think about it, but. I'm like, there's so many new people, and I'm giving my sermon. This is what's going that, on here. <laughs> there weren't a ton of new people. <laughs> what, what the two girls? They were here a couple weeks ago. And what oh, the new, the yeah, young kid next time. to me? Yeah. I don't know who that was. I didn't. He wasn't it, very talkative. And I, I didn't get a chance myself. to talk to him before he, was he left. Out. Yeah, I bet. You always wonder. He seemed, but he sang. Okay, interesting. And he said the prayers. Interesting. Okay. So I mean, maybe he's shy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it's a if if you're not he here with people, young. if you're not here with people you know, yeah. it's pretty intimidating. You but know. I entered, I I offered him a not not everyone's thing. like Riley who just comes and starts talking to people. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's a Midwest. That yeah, is, yeah. Is so cool. Yeah. I turned around and he was sitting there. I'm going, oh my gosh, you got so young. <laughs> he just broke out. Laughing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Harold? No. <laughs> wow. What are you taking? I need it. Oh. Uh, no, it's a good day. We have people playing basketball, a bunch of people fellowshipping, doing first communion class in there. So four four kids are going to be taking communion next wow. week. Wow. So. And a, a, a number missing. I was thinking of a handful. Ten. Yeah. A handful, yeah. yeah. So what was the final count? Oh, was I don't, it around 70? Okay. Don't was listen to this. Close? The people who count don't know how to count. I'm just going to say that out loud. It's okay. If they they will, he ca- didn't say that. They will count two to three times and get a different number every time. I didn't try because I wasn't so, rushing, so I didn't. Try. But they wrote down 65. Uh, there was more than that. Oh, I, I think we were pushing 70 today, 70 ish. But sometimes they don't count whoever's up front. And some, oh. no, no, seriously, like I, there's been times that I know that they didn't count Lake Bonnie and I when we've been up there. And then, and then, and then, if they don't, if Maddie's under the seat, and I, and I, I'm not convinced that they count uh, Sophia or not. I don't know. So she's it's just so they should. She should. She's got more life to live than the rest of us. She counts more. So. Uh, but when I asked how to count children, they told me to count two as one. No. I count one every. Is, one is one. I count everybody. But that's what, they told. that's what they told me. Tell the cute kids as well. It's okay to be wrong. You can be correct. So well, just, no wonder. We've got to increase everybody. by five every time, every Sunday then. And Megan, <laughs> Megan counts everybody. Which would be 70-ish. Yeah. I don't, you know, I don't really pay. I mean, I look at the, the number of people just as far as the, how it feels in here. And it's exciting. So yeah. it's fun. All right. Uh, Matthew chapter 17. Uh, actually, let's go... 
to 16, I'm sorry, verse mm-hmm. 16, verse 21. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so he had the 4,000, <laughs> and again, the, the disciples are like, where are we going to go? this bread. And then he, <laughs> and then he asks Peter, or the disciples, who do people say I am? Peter says, you are Christ, the Son of God. He goes, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven, from now on you'll be Simon Bar-Jonah. Uh, Bar is son, uh, son of Jonah, is basically what that means. And so now uh, we go, and, and so he talks about being things being loosed in heaven, loosed on earth. We talked about that last week. And then he says, but don't tell anybody who I am. Okay, now there's some reason for that. Uh, the, the reality is his time had not come yet. Uh, there needed to become a point to where not people were just proclaiming who he was, but he was proving who he was. So, yes. I wanted to go back. Uh, not just no, no, we're going no, forward. No, no, on, on 19, you said, uh, I figured you wanted to say something about I, the keys to the kingdom. We talked about it last week. We talked about it, but I think you, you were cut off. No, I wasn't. Yeah? Uh-uh. Yeah. No. I think so. No. You must, were you sure you were here? <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> no, I have okay. nothing to say about the keys of the kingdom. Okay. Well, I, I mentioned that I thought going to the book of Acts, I guess uh, uh, communion, uh, the Eucharist, uh, the baptism the, the, would be part of that. But I also figured that uh, watching out uh, the apostles and the, the different people with gifts of uh, the spirit would be keys to the kingdom. Well, not necessarily. I mean, basically what, what Jesus is talking about here is, is pretty much all in line with forgiveness, is really what the keys of the kingdom are, is that what he gave to the disciples was the power to forgive. So when I announce that you're forgiven, that's, that's part of the keys of the kingdom. But we also, again, I don't announce that I'm the one that's doing the forgiving for the sake of Jesus Christ. God forgives you. Um, when we say that to one another, uh, you know, so it's really around forgiveness. I would say the acts of the spirit within the church, um, are controlled purely by the spirit. And because I think that the spirit will moves as he wills and wishes. So when we talk about, um, again, at, at, since you mentioned the, the Lord's table, uh, that's an area where we give, the forgiveness of sins that we believe is is in the body and the blood. Um, uh, it, it's the official Jesus pronouncing it. Um, baptism, right? You know, we are we are commissioned to announce that you know this this saves you. This this cleanses you. This is um, that you are forgiven of your sins through the waters of baptism. Um, as far as anything else, again, we have to look at what is what are those acts that we do as believers that usher in forgiveness of sins or a means of grace. Um, and so anytime you talk about forgiveness of sins, uh, then that's when you look at the fact that that is one of the, the, the things that we are called to do. Um, is really pronounced the forgiveness of sins through Jesus Christ. And so that's why there was debate at the Reformation of whether or not preaching should be considered a sacrament or not. Um, Luther would lean towards thinking that it should be, but the, 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 the challenge with it all was, well, we can't guarantee that every pastor that preaches up there is going to pronounce that you're forgiven or, or saved because of the work of Jesus Christ in every single sermon. But we know that in a baptism and in in communion that God's doing that work and besides the people, you know, in spite of the people. So we can confidently say that there is the tangible means of grace or the actual thing that we can hold with our hands and we know that it's being delivered to us through those means. So Thank you. Uh, there you go. We could, I talked about with the kids this morning. We'll, yeah, we'll see, I, we'll see uh, what they remember. Anyway. <laughs> My, <laughs> I was I, I before I started. I mean, who should come up to the communion? Everyone, mm, no. <laughs> so let's talk about why. You know, so afterwards, like, oh, someone who believes that they in Jesus Christ and that they need forgiveness of sins. Okay, that's a good answer. Now we'll go. So, um, you know, okay, verse twenty-one of Matthew chapter sixteen. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. 
And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord. This shall never happen to you. But he turned to Peter and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Okay, so again, here Peter proclaims, You're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. You're the one we've been waiting for. And Jesus doesn't say, no, I'm not. He says, don't tell anybody yet. So there's this, they have this little group. They have this great secret of who Jesus really is, right? Um, and so now Jesus starts telling them, oh, by the way, I'm going to die. Um, I'm going to be led to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify me. And Peter's like, yeah, but I just told you that you were the Christ. And you didn't deny it. So no, this can't happen to you. Now, again, in the Jewish mind... Um, what they were expecting from the Messiah was not the suffering servant. Again, they ignored some Isaiah passages. They ignored some things uh, that, that clearly said, um, you know, Genesis, or not Genesis, Psalm 22, clearly said that he was going to die. And they're like, ah, no, let's not, uh, let's not look at those. Um, and again, we do the same thing, right? We pick and choose the scriptures that we really like. And then the ones that, that were like, mm, I don't care for that one, we just kind of put it aside or say, yeah, I don't want to listen to that one. Um, and we see this with, with Peter. And what I love about Peter, um, and I know the attention is going to be Christ when we get to heaven. I know that. But if you get a chance, I think it's important that we say thank you to Peter for letting all his failures be just laid out before all of us so that we don't feel so bad about ourselves, right? Because how many times have you had this great moment of victory you say this wonderful thing, you proclaim Christ clearly, and then you find yourself you know, turning around to him going, no, 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 that's not okay. Um, I mean, I can't imagine what Peter felt when he's like, get behind me, Satan. Now again, we have Peter who walked on the water and failed. We have Peter who, who said this wonderful thing about who Jesus is, and then Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Uh, so again, thank you, Peter, very much. Thank you, Lord, for guys like Peter. That you, and that's one thing that's great about the book. One thing that's really great about the book is most people and most, most authors, when they write stuff, they, only do, they, they give their highlight film. Although today everyone wants to make, you know, commiserate in their misery. So maybe that's not anymore. But, but you know, there's a lot of honesty through, from the disciples in this book. You were going to say, Steve? I was going to say it right here. I found it interesting over there. He says, he, he goes on to tell them that they, they, they must go to Jerusalem to suffer many things. This isn't the only example. This is only one of the examples as he's talking over there in the scriptures. It would seem to me that they would be getting over there of, of, of saying, I must the Messiah or the um, I must go to J Jerusalem, suffer and die, and then be raised on the third day. I don't, you know, I'm kind of surprised that none of the twelve said, "What does that mean?" Oh, because they were afraid to. We we know that. I mean, they they talked amongst themselves often, like we don't know what he's saying. And he said, hey, "Let me clarify it for you." And then they, he said something, and it wasn't very clear. And they said, "Oh, now we understand." You know that. <laughs> Right? They're I mean, like how many times... It, okay, well, but how many... Let's think about this. And maybe... maybe uh, forgive me if you didn't experience this, but there were many times growing up in school when the whole class said they got it. And I would and just... Would say, I would say, uh, yeah, okay, yeah. And I'm like, I have no idea what, <laughs> what formula I'm supposed to use for this triangle, right? It makes no sense to me. S-A-S, uh, you know, S-S-A, which one? You know, side side angles. I don't know which one, right? Because you don't want to be left. But yeah, you don't want to be, you want to be, oh yeah, yeah, okay, we all understand. Um, we don't want to look like a fool. And you know, and that's the reality of what I love about the disciples is they're human. And so they, you know, we can relate to them in great ways. And so again, think about it though. The Messiah, according to the Jews, was supposed to come to Jerusalem to do what? To establish the rule and the reign of the kingdom. Well, of the Jewish nation. You know, in their mind, it was we're going to rise up. Okay. We're going to say, "Look, our daddy's bigger than your daddy." We told you, nanner, nanner, nanner. I mean, that's really, that's really, uh, but really, at a core, that's what it was. We're waiting for him to come, and we can say, "Look, all of you, we told you." Neener, What's that? You said it was, but it's that true? Well, and, and I would say, yeah. To to your point, that still is some of the. If you if you, I mean, true Jews, that's what they still are waiting for. They're still waiting for the Messiah to come, and they can say, "Look." 
right. We're right and you all are wrong. And uh, maybe they could also say because we suffered so much more than anybody else. More than anybody else? Yes. They, have. they make it sound like that, but... Look, Jew, Jews don't exaggerate anything. <laughs> yeah, so, so we see oh, this... Yeah, no. <laughs> okay, moving on. <laughs> and it's funny, it's a real thing when you're in Israel for the whole bartering and haggling for prices. They love it. They love it. There's, there's no set price for anything. In these markets, you know, uh, you know, what do you want to pay? Oh, no, that's too little. You know, it's just a sport for them. It's hilarious. Mexico is the same way. Yeah, but, okay, I agree with you, but there's a different attitude in Mexico that, that I find than, in, than I did in Israel. Israel, it seems like just fun sport for them, where in Mexico it felt like they were trying to take advantage of you, in my opinion. So, yeah, particularly if you don't speak Exactly. So, um, so anyway... Um, and then, and then he says, your mind is not on the things of God, but on the things of man. Again, how often are we saying, this is how God is supposed to work? I've never done that. Right. No, I know. Yeah. And, and, sure. and God's like, um, your mind is not on the things of, of the Lord. They're on the things of man. And, and again, this is the battle between the flesh and the spirit every single day. I want things to work out the way I want them to work out. In your timeline. Well, in my timeline and the way that benefits me the most. I said, okay, yeah, Lord, you'll get a lot of glory in this, but this would really benefit me. (laughs) Right? And that's what Peter's saying. Like, oh, yeah, you'll be the one who comes on the scene. You come to Jerusalem, and I'll be with you. And, you know, and then I won't have, I mean, he wasn't seeing this yet, but I won't have to suffer the loss of my Savior and the, the depression and the fear that I had to deal with and then eventually being martyred for it. I mean, you know, obviously you didn't see all that in the future, but he's like, no, I'm with you. I'm one of the few that left everything. We even have the disciples that say, we left everything, you know, to come follow you. And then, and then now you're going to go die? Wait a second. Yeah. I think you just pointed out something that I think, I think is really interesting is usually in, in the Gospels, Often somebody will say something that seems like they're saying something nice, mm. like him saying, "Hey, you're let that be far from you." All these things, but then he, Christ, like you know, he rebukes people. He's like, "No, no, no. he admonishes." He's like, "No, bad." <laughs> but it, and, bad and you read that, and you read that, and you're like, "Whoa!" But he didn't say anything wrong. But you have to realize, what, whatever the person is saying, Christ is seeing right at the heart, like yeah. what, what they're thinking, yeah. what their their motivation for saying that is. So he. I don't know, you just pointed out, it's like, it's kind of interesting how often it happens, it's because it seems like they said something, but he's, what, what Peter's really saying is like, my security. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly, yeah. So uh, that's, and it was my security, and if you die, what have I done the last three and a half years? Mm-hmm. You know, I'm going to look like a fool. So, I mean, a good example, well, I don't know if it's a good example. So, um, when we left New Mexico, um, I was convinced that I was supposed to plant a church in my hometown that I was born in, Santa Cruz, California. Some of that had to do with the fact that the pastor I was with in New Mexico was born in Berlin, in New Mexico, then moved when he was a year old to Baldwin Park, California, then moved back to the place of his birth. And so I'm like, so as I was feeling stirred to go plant a church, um, that was my frame. I'm like, well, I guess I'll go back to where I was born. And um, 402 job applications to, to Santa Cruz. Actually, I had been hired for Verve Coffee, and two days before we moved, I got a call saying they're restructuring, they didn't have this job for me anymore. Well, we already had the house into a real estate contract, we already had packed everything and sold a bunch of things. So I'm like, I guess we're going, right? <laughs> so we go, and we house sat for a while and whatnot, stayed in a, I won't go, it was a couple months in a loft above a garage. Anyway, that's a whole different story. Um, and so, you know, uh, thought I was going to actually go work for UC Santa Cruz, uh, had some great interviews, and I was down between me and one other candidate, and I, I didn't get it. So I'm like, well, shoot, I got to provide for my family. So here we are in Placerville, California. So I'm like, so I guess I don't know what to do. And so my brother and I were on the phone, and I said, well, I, I need to apply I'd, I'd been hired for Home Depot in Watsonville but it was 18 bucks an hour and in California that make I said this doesn't make any sense um, and so I turned that job down and I said you know I think I just need to find a job here and let's see what God does um, and 
And my brother was talking to me. He goes, so what's your concern about that? I said, well, I told everyone that the Lord told me I'm supposed to plant a church in Santa Cruz. Now I'm going to look like a fool. He goes, yeah, but God doesn't look like one. So don't worry about it. You, you know, don't worry about those things. No one's going to think that. No one did. Um, and so I applied for three jobs in Placerville, got called that day from all three of them, went to interview with one um, that day and got hired that day by, and, the, and it was by a school district and the principal was a, was a Christian. So he ran afterwards out to me. He goes, okay, what's your deal? He's like, he's like, you're way overqualified for this. And so I just kind of explained to him what my, and I said, I don't know what that looks like. And then we planted a church in Placerville and a lot of people got re- restored to their faith in the church and they're all in churches now in separate places, but that's a longer story. But again, it's one of those things where I had a plan, right? <laughs> You know, and I think often we do that, right? God, God moves on our hearts. We go a certain direction. We have a plan. And then he says, well, at least I got you moving. Um, and like my one fr- pastor friend in Santa Cruz said, he goes, Kirk, it's a lot easier to steer a car when it's moving. Um, and so his whole point was, at least you're moving in a direction. And you can a- be steered a little bit easier that way. Uh, and so, again, you know, you have to wrestle with that from time to time. You know, when we fostered kids, we thought we were going to adopt these kids, and that didn't work. I'm like, this was not my plan. This was not what I wanted to do. This is not what Laura and I signed up for. And the Lord's like, yeah, you did, right? It's kind of like when you're in marriage and things aren't going well or someone's sick, you, you know. I'm like, my, my mom, she won't listen to this. But when my dad was having his brain tumor removed and he was not recovering um, well, I was sitting there with my mom at her house. She goes... She goes, I didn't sign up for this. I'm like, yeah, you did, right? And she goes, what do you mean? I said, what were your vows? And sickness and health, you signed up for it. She goes, yeah, but I didn't know this was going to happen. I'm like, yeah, of course you didn't. <laughs> I said, but. It's just like all those contracts we, 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 we just scroll through. Yeah, how many times do I just agree to the terms? I'm like, I don't know what this is, right? So I didn't sign up for it. Oh, actually you did. So, so again, we see that this, we have our own ideas about how God is supposed to work. Um, and when we can get to the point where we're like, I don't know how he's going to work, but it's going to be good. I mean, I'm sure Peter would look back, and he, we know he does look back and go, wow, God's plan was way greater than I ever thought. Because I go to Cornelius's house, and he actually wants everyone to be saved. This is amazing. Um, you know, I think that, that again, we, we, we always have these moments where we are, are faced with, is this really how I want things to happen. And, you know, God forbid that we should say, be called Satan by the Lord. Um, but, but the reality is, and this is what's clarifying for us, and I'm not calling any of us Satan, but for you, this is his clarification. This is why he calls him Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but the things of man. So again, I, I'm one of those that I love the black and white of the gospel. It's very simple for me. I don't think it's very difficult. The things that are difficult, I feel like I don't need to know. I <laughs> mean, that I don't understand. But I look at it here. It's like, so if you're not thinking about the things of God, you're thinking about the things of man, that is in line with Satan. It's, like, anti-Christ. it's anti-Christ. And, you know, First John talks about that. You have a lot of anti-Christs already among you. Uh, and, and we do. We live in a culture that is anti-Christ, anti-God. Um, now, you know, we might have some people that use terms that sound very nice and Christian-like, but it doesn't mean they're actually for God. Um, you know, I, I don't like the phrase, the man upstairs, the big chief in the sky, uh, my homeboy, Jesus is my homeboy. I, I, I lack the reverence um, that really bothers me. Like, you really don't know God if you're willing to, to talk to, uh, about him that nonchalantly that's hard for me to say anyway so after this he rebukes peter then jesus told his disciples verse 24 if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it for what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul or what shall a man give in return for his soul For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And we're going to see that account in just a minute in in chapter 17, that they see the glory of the Son. 
But before we go that, what do you, what do you think um, that taking up your cross and following Jesus is? It's kind of like silence of Bible study this morning. <laughs> Denying your flesh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. You're just, you're going to, instead of going your way, you're taking up and going his way. Okay. You're going to deny what you want. Okay. I thought 25 was pretty uh, descriptive for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Mm-hmm. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. I was thinking of your own attitude, actions, words, thoughts, and deeds as far as uh, your priorities. I mean, uh, when you become a Christian, uh, it's diametrically opposed to your sorry goofiness, your stupidity of what you think is going to make you happy. Uh, the okay. spirit is the spirit is probably going to lead you in a different direction than what your mm-hmm. what your uh, what you were headed. We live in a society that that glorifies the burdens that they bear. Yeah, I was just going to say, um, I s- sometimes. Hear uh, women uh, just say, "Well, this is a cross I have to bear." Yeah. No. No, it's true. I was gonna. I was gonna. You haven't even put that. I was going to. I was going to use that example. I wasn't gonna mention women, although I do hear it from women more than I do men. Usually, it's about a husband that is. you know, anyway, well, this is our children. This is just the cross I have to bear. And it's almost a, a, a victim, pity me mentality, which is not what Jesus is saying here. So when we talk about the cross, it's like denying yourself means I am, well, let's look at Galatians. I was just going to say Galatians 3.20. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives within me. I'm not trying to correct you, but it's 2.20. So... Oh, it's, it's chapter two. It's chapter two. But yeah, yeah. I believe. Yeah. Yep, there it is. So let's look, let's start um, at verse 17 of Galatians chapter two. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we, were, we, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And so we see that in Galatians chapter 2. And one of these things is the cross that we are picking up is the fact that we have been crucified with Christ. And so think about this for a moment, because this is some of the challenge that we have, right? Uh, if we look at it as, well, this, this, these kids, this husband, this, 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 my lot in life is just the cross I have to bear. That's you carrying a burden on your own, but if we look at taking up the cross and saying, what is the weight of the cross of Christ upon us? What does that tell you? Oh, Jesus has paid it for us. So I also think of Matthew chapter 11, which we have covered before. But at the end, in 28, he says, Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. So if we look at take up your cross as the yoke of Christ, it's light. And it's easy, but it's present. It's one of those things. So Oswald Chambers, um, if you ever get the old language version of "Is my utmost for his highest, I encourage you to. Because he speaks in words that make you think a little bit more. And one of his um, devotionals says that he talks about being haunted by the Holy, Holy Ghost. And I, I have held on to that for years because I love that imagery. Uh, if you're haunted by something, you are ever aware of its presence. You order your life around the presence of that haunting. You, everything you're thinking about has to deal with being haunted. Now, that's, we look at that as a negative thing, right? But if we think about it in a positive, no, I'm, I, I should be ever aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit in my life. I should be ever, ever aware of the cross 
that I've been yoked with because of Jesus Christ, that, that he has done it all. And then now if I have that presence of the cross on my life, how then do I live? I can now follow him because I've denied myself, right? Because that cross took me and crucified me, as, as Galatians chapter 2 says. And so now I follow him. And so now my life, as Paul says, is no longer my own, but it is God's life in and through me. And what does that, that means? Okay, and here's, again, back to Peter. So if I sit there and go, but I want things to go this way, he's like, yeah, but that's not the way Jesus is going. So you're against Jesus. So I have to deny myself, lose my life, so to speak. And what I mean by that is our life, um, as we've talked about before, uh, I like uh, when The Walking Dead was really popular. It was a great analogy for us to go, hey, everyone who's without Christ is like a walking dead person. You know, they have no real life in them. They're just walking aimlessly. Um, But then when Christ comes in, um, they're made new. And now they're a real person with, with, with real, I'm a real boy. No, but, um, and, 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 and so it still falls a little bit short. But, um, but the whole point is, is that when Jesus comes in, now we experience real life. Life before is a, is a mirage, is, is a facade, because the life that we live without Christ is always leading us to death. Right, so when we have Christ come in the picture, like oh, now this life is leading us to life, everlasting, and so there's this great difference. And so when when he's saying you have to deny yourself, it's like Paul talks about this: put off the old man, put off the new, or put on the new. Um, Hebrews talks about this: um, you know, you know, put aside those sins that so easily entangle you, selfishness, my rights, all these things. And then follow him. So this is where we have losing your life. And we would all say, hey, my life's not my own anymore. It's Christ. I've gained life. Right? And so, but yet, if we're trying to amass this life and put ever focus on this life, all of us have the same end as far as this life on earth. We will all take a last breath on this earth. Now, we all go to different places, one of two places after we take that last breath. If we're putting everything into, you know, what this life can hold, the man who said, I'm just going to build another barn, another silo, because I have all this grain. (laughs) Whoops. And that just gets taken out. And Job's a great example of this. Now, he's still in the flesh here, right? But Job is very successful. And everything, his riches, his children are taken away from him. And he says, yet I will still praise the Lord. I mean, he does say it better that I would have not been born and whatnot. You know, and his wife says, you know, curse God, you know, and die. And he goes, oh, this cross, I have to bear. No, he said, <laughs> but, uh, but, 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 but we see that, yeah, that's just a cross I have to bear. Lord. No. Uh, and so I think that, that when we look at this, we go, he gives us an example and what I like about Job is it wasn't like he was like, oh, everything's great. God's hunky-dory. I mean, he was real. He's like, I don't like my life, but God's still God, right? And then God restored everything, you know, twofold. Um, and so he got more, more kids, more cattle, more riches. Now, we don't, now, that was Satan who took away all those kids. God did give him permission. That's a whole different story that we just, you know, can't really comprehend. Um, but, but God knew what he was going to do. Yes. I was going to say the interesting thing over there uh, to me was reading over there, uh, being yoked up with Jesus. Most people don't understand being yoked up, but I remember an evangelist about 40 years ago, Bill Haynes, he was talking about, you know, when you're yoked up with Jesus, walking in that direction, you know, you're looking around, there's an ox. Now this is a big load that we're pulling here. And, um, whether it be your ministry or or your gifts or talents, and it's not you pulling the thing, it's Christ pulling the thing and giving a, a, a yeah. ministry of successful people or whatnot. They're going to give, they're going to honor the Lord. I kind of look at it as um, when, when dad invites his six-year-old to help him build a shed. I mean, the reality is, is the kid is no help at all, right? Gets in the way, bends the nails, 
um, you know, can't hold a level, can't do anything, can't cut something straight, gets distracted. And yet that's just the light for the father to have his son with him. And the dad, dad does all the work. And I kind of look at that at our life in Christ. He does all the work. He just invites us to kind of be along for the ride. And we're scribbling, trying to mess everything up, bend nails, you know, try to get out of the yoke and whatnot. And, and, and he's like, come on, quit scrimming around and we're going to get to where we're, we're going. Um, and he loves it. Uh, you know, where we as earthly fathers get really frustrated with our kids when we want, we want them to be involved in something, but we want them to do it right, which is unfair expectations. That's a whole different story too. But so then we come to this where he says that truly I say to you, some are standing here who will not taste death until they see the son of man coming in his kingdom. And so there's, we're going to walk into some of the challenges that the early church had because of this statement. But let's move on to chapter 17. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. And as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus commanded them, Tell no one of the vision until the Son of Man is raised from the dead. And the, and the disciples asked him, Then why do the scribes say that Elijah must come first? He answered, Elijah does come, and he will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come, and they did not recognize him, but, I, but did to him whatever they pleased. So also the Son of Man will certainly suffer at their hands. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. Okay. Okay. So we're not going to get caught up in that just yet. Um, so this is the moment the Son of Man in his kingdom, in his glory, that, that he's talking about at the end of 16. They will see the Son of Man coming in his glory. Well, here he is transfigured, brighter than the brightest light. The, 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 the language indicates that he was having a casual conversation with Elijah and Moses, just shooting the breeze with them, right? Just talking. And then Peter, in his, in his wonderful wisdom, you know, uh, let's do something, right? And what I like about... about about this story is God interrupts Peter. You know, the father comes in this bit bright light and just stops him. Doesn't say, okay, doesn't say shut up, Peter. I mean, I think he probably wanted to. <laughs> but he silences Peter by saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. And so the problem that the early church had is that the disciples waited until after Jesus had ascended. And they said, hey, we saw him in his glory on the Mount of Transfiguration. And he was with Elijah and he's with Moses. And he said that, that some of you, you know, that, 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 that until he comes again, you know, uh, some of you are going to see him. We won't taste death. Well, then we have John. Now, John was considered to be probably about 17 years old, maybe 20, you know, whatever. Young, young disciple at this point in time. And then John lived actually a long time for men at that point. Men usually died in their 50s. Um, if, if they were had a long life, he was in his 90s before he passed away. They tried to boil him in oil and kill him. That didn't work. So they exiled him to the Isle of Patmos, uh, where he wrote, where he had the revelation of Jesus Christ that we see at the end of the Bible. Um, and so as he was nearing the end of his life, the church was going, well, Jesus is supposed to come back because, because Jesus said some of these guys won't taste death until they see the Son of Man in his kingdom. And, and so they kind of had some misunderstanding. And then we see Paul and Thessalonians addressing this because they're like, okay, have we missed it? Have we missed it? What happened to those who died before the coming of Christ? Now, and so we see a lot of confusion in the early church. I know we see no confusion in the church today. But um, there was a lot of confusion around a lot of things that we actually take for granted. Oh, no. Well, we can look now and go, this is what Jesus meant. We can have a better clarification because certainly Jesus hasn't come back. There's not peace on earth. 
hasn't restored the kingdom. Uh, John did die. Certainly, God's plan for more people in the kingdom is greater than ours. Um, and how, how good is that? Because we're here today. Um, if he would have come back already, well, whatever. Um, so here they are talking. One couple notes about this. First of all, they knew who Jesus was talking to. Um, it's one of those things that we're told in scripture that we will, we will know people and they will know us. First John chapter three, we will be known as we are known. Now, this is where, again, we get confused. So, so am I going to know that Lara was my wife on earth? I believe so. Is there going to be necessary for her and I to be married in heaven? No, no need for it because marriage is a couple of things. Marriage is namely for procreation. I mean, we don't want to just limit it to that because there's also relational issues and support and, and love and a great picture of Christ in his church that God has given to us and guys and needing uh, uh, someone to help them. And then, you, you know, and, and women needing someone to, to, to hold to, the, to their side and whatnot. So, I mean, we can get into that, but, but in heaven, we won't need that right? We, there's no reason for that. So this creates some confusion because we're limited by our finite minds. What does that look like? I don't know. What we do know is that we're going to know everybody and they're going to know us and they're not going to know us by our failures. They're not going to know us by our humanity. They're going to know us by believers in Jesus Christ who are new creations, the children of God, where we shine, bring in like stars in this perverse generation. We're all going to be shining up there. Um, so they knew who they were. And then I find often too, that when we have these moments, and maybe you're better than I am, when I have these moments of what I would call divine clarity, you know, sometimes I'm reading the words, singing a song, praying, and I just have this moment where I sense the spirit of God in a real intangible way. I'm like, I know he's with me. I, I know he's speaking to me. I have a tendency to start speaking instead of just going, let me just rest in this moment for a minute because it's going to be great. Like when you go away to a retreat and you spend a day and a half, two days, two and a half days, and, and you have no schedule other than you're here to learn about the Lord. You're to open the Bible. You're to fellowship in his creation. You go up to Camp Perkins, which hopefully all of us can get there at some point in time. And it's just this beautiful place on a lake. And... Um, there's no cell reception and you're just sitting there and you're going to Bible studies. You're fellowshipping with other believers, encourage one another in the faith. And you're like, oh, this is great. And then like these wonderful disciples, they have to walk down the mountain, right? And immediately as we're going to see, um, they get confronted with demonic activity. Now, again, I'm not saying everything that happens when we come down from a spiritual thing is demonic, but the enemy wants to steal your joy. Life wants to steal your joy. Flesh says, you just denied me for two and a half days and spent all your time focusing on the Lord. I need some me time now. And so you come down and the flesh is like, oh, you know, let's trip you up. Uh, and then the enemy doesn't play fair. I've been at times where I'm retreats by my, you know, without my wife, and I come down and all hell broke loose at the at the house while I was gone, and she couldn't get a hold of me, you know, and she handled it or whatever. But now I have to come and deal with the aftermath of not being there, and instead, you know, so he's like, "Oh, you were selfish to go away and do that when your wife needed you," and things like, "Oh, wait a second, that's that's not how that's not fair." But I would say it's good for us. To be quiet sometimes. Um, where's the scripture? Just escaped my mind. Anyway. But it says, You are God in heaven and here am I on earth, so let my words be few. My challenge is I'm a pastor, so I'm supposed to talk all the time, right? <laughs> but I think the reality is we all, we all want to say, Lord, this is good. Let me do this because, and, and Peter's, 
Peter's desire to say, let's keep this here. Let's, you know, let's, let's hold on to this. Like, you, you know, when we have uh, a large Sunday morning and there's just like this morning, there's fellowship happening both here and outside. We've got, we've got the new the first communion. I mean, I don't think anybody, hardly anybody took off to go just take off. Most people hung out for a little bit. It was loud in here. It was playing basketball outside. It was just people on the playground. I mean, oh, Lord, let's just keep it here. Right? But yet, you know that that moment is going to change. There's going to be a deflation. <laughs> There's going to be a reality. Oh, real life comes in. You, you know. Uh, and so it's one of those things where I think that we say, Lord, thank you for this moment. Please help me to keep my mouth shut. Let me receive all that you have. And what's great is if you're not going to keep your mouth shut, God will shut your mouth. Well, because he does here. He comes and he interrupts, his, uh, interrupts Peter. And said, enough of that. <laughs> enough of that. You know, Peter, you're still, you're still trying to do the things that, that are contrary to God, right? I mean, again, Peter's intention, both with bringing Jesus aside and rebuking Jesus, by the way, don't do that. And then his intention for trying to build these things to keep this glory here on earth, which was really, he was trying to, to have the second coming happen before the ascension which would mess everything up. So Jesus says, hey, you know, God comes in, speaks, Jesus then touches them, and he's the only one there, which there's a whole beautiful picture there that it is all about Jesus and his personal connection to you and to me. And in the midst of this, it's still going to be the clarity is Jesus Christ. Steve. As I say, uh, also on that... uh... When God says, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased, I always get a, there's a lot of uh, people who want to be prophets or whatnot. Or, but it, it, when you go through the Old Testament, and, and almost everywhere I notice, when God's speaking, they're sucking dirt. I mean, boom, they, they hit well, the ground. And we, yeah. we, we tend to, maybe it's the Holy Spirit, they don't. But all I know is that Peter, James, and John, they're right there as disciples, and, and they hit the dirt. I mean, Jesus. Yeah, I mean, you don't see that at the baptism. No. Right, but you do see that in other places. I mean, we see back in the Old Testament when they went to the mountain and the 70 elders were supposed to come up and it starts thundering and lightning and they, they, they have fear. They walk away and say, Moses, you go for us. Um, and what's interesting here is you don't see Peter and James and John saying, hey, let's bow down and worship. It said Peter just starts talking. So it's one of those moments like when with Balaam and his donkey, right? He just starts talking to her. The donkey. He just starts engaging in conversation with the donkey. I'm like, no one pauses to go, should I even be talking to this donkey? Right? You know, oh, you're do- the donkey's talking to me. No, I'm going to talk back to her. And so again, we have this, this picture here where until God comes down this cloud and the voice of the Father speaks, right? They are, to your point, sucking dirt, right? But then what does Jesus do? This is something what I want us to take away tonight. Jesus touches them and says, rise and have no fear. So again, to take Bible study from this morning, to me, there are two choices as a believer, fear or faith. And so when we encounter situations, we go, am I going to walk in fear or am I going to walk in faith? Okay. And so these are the moments that we find ourselves, you know, a cancer diagnosis. Am I going to walk in fear? Am I going to walk in faith? Uh, a loss of a child, a loss of a job, uh, you know, financial crash in the, you know, whatever. Am I going to walk in fear or I'm going to walk in faith? Now, this doesn't mean plans can't change, right? Because sometimes we can go, oh, well, plans change and now I still want to walk in faith. That doesn't mean that we still go in the direction that we were going, Because plans can change, but my direction is still, I have to go, am I making my decisions based on fear or on faith? And so these are some of the things that I think that we see that Jesus always reiterates to to his disciples, and he reiterates to us. You have no fear. In this life you'll have many troubles, but fear not, I've overcome the world. How many times when he comes back, when he rises from the dead, when he sees his disciples, he says, fear not, have peace. Peace, don't fear. This is, again, perfect love, we're told, in First John, casts out all fear. Jesus is God, we're told in First John. God is love. 
God is perfect. So if Jesus is love, then Jesus is God and Jesus is perfect. So the presence of Jesus casts out all fear, um, even fear of a holy God. And, and what I mean by that, uh, there's a different type of fear. Should we be in awe and have reverence for a holy God? Absolutely. Going back to what I said earlier, I don't like people calling him a homeboy. The big man upstairs, the big chief in the sky. I'm like, you don't understand who God is when you say that. Now, I understand saying, yeah, but Jesus is my friend. He is friend because he calls us his friend, but he's also God. So there's, there's a challenge there. You know, how great is it that a holy God would call me his friend? And how much more does that put me in a state of awe and reverence of him that he would accept the likes of me? But he accepts us not because of who we are, but because of what he's done and what that means to us and how he changes us. Because he doesn't want to leave us in our state of condemnation. And so when we look at this, we go, oh, yeah, I can revere the Lord. I can have a healthy, real fear, not a fear of being, you know, poof, gone in an instant, right? But a fear of the Lord that is fueled by faith that the Lord has given me. So he then says this little thing, well, Elijah's going to restore all things, blah, 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 blah. And again, this is a little note here that's important for us to understand that they put in here, that Matthew puts in here. Then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them of John the Baptist. Remember earlier, who do people say that I am? Well, some say Elijah. Uh, well, John the Baptist was called Elijah, the spirit of Elijah, which was to prepare the way of the Lord, make straight the highway to our God. And that's what he did. He called people to repentance. And so, and Jesus even said, if you can accept it, John is Elijah. Now, we're not talking reincarnation here, so let's just be careful. You know, we can get, but he's, what he was saying is, no, what, uh, what Elijah said, this is what John the Baptist has done. And, and so that's where the, the disciples, after the, after the resurrection, after Pentecost, go, oh, yeah, then we know he was, now we know he was talking about John the Baptist. And so the, pre, the way was prepared completely for Christ to do what he did in the manner at which he did it. Great. So no fear. Any final comments before we close? I, it was in the catechism. Okay. You know, I've been reading. And I really like this. What they're saying is that sometimes we forget that Jesus is our brother. He mm. had flesh like we did. Mm -hmm. And that, uh, he knows how we feel. Mm -hmm. I mean, we think of him as this, you know, God, but he really understands what our temptations mm -hmm. are and mm -hmm. what we're feeling. And yeah. I just that, yeah. I thought that was sort of nice. Yeah, it's both and. I mean, you know, he's, he is God and he is, but he's also one who's acquainted with what we're acquainted with, mm -hmm. yet without sin, which is right. a wonderful thing because that gives me hope that, that oh, okay, he conquered it all. Um, so I don't have to give in to temptation and whatnot. So yeah, very good. All right, Lord, thanks for your, your word. Thank you, Jesus, that you love us so well. And I love, you know, that here is this moment where Peter's being rebuked and then Peter is being silenced and this great moment of, of, of fear coming over them as they're silenced. And yet, Jesus, you touch us and say, rise, don't be afraid. And it is you. You give us the strength and the confidence. And so, Lord, thank you for that. Lord, uh, may we just realize that you have great plans and that you're trustworthy. And then when we deny ourselves, it's just acknowledging the fact that our lives are no longer our own, that the flesh doesn't, does not have dominion over us anymore, but the new life in Christ does. So Lord, continue to gently lead us in that way, we pray. It's in your name. Amen.